All right, good morning, church. So this is uh, going to be a great morning. First of all, this is my favorite chapter in the entire Old Testament. This is it, right here. This is my favorite chapter. So we're going to be covering a ton of information. Those of you who get a little bit lost, I'm not coming back for you today. So just know you're going to stay lost for a long time. So try your best just to stick with it. But, um, I mean, it's Christmas, and I'm super excited about Christmas, but I've already been told Like, I'm not getting what I want for Christmas. My wife said, absolutely, positively, not happening, not getting it. You're not getting it. It's not happening. And so I'm a little disappointed, but it's okay. I'm going to make it through it. You know what I wanted? Uh, No, I didn't want a Super Bowl. That would be way too much to ask for. Um, That would be, uh, no, we'll go there some other time. No, so I I wanted a wig. Like, I wanted, like, a, I'm talking, no, no, this is true. Like, I'm thinking, like, I'm not talking, so she was talking to me, I was like, you, can't, you have to glue it down, and I'm not going to glue it down. And she goes, well, what if it blows off? I'm like, I'll pick it up like a hat. Like, I just, I just kind of wanted a wig, and she's like, no, I think I could, I think it would look great. Would you, I mean, seriously, like, would you guys love to see some flowing locks? I mean, she won't do it, but I was, I was telling a friend, and he actually told me this week, he's like, I wear a wig. And I said, well, I was totally kidding, but that's awesome because I couldn't even tell. Like, it was so nice. And so I told her, I'm like, I saw one today that was so nice. Like, she goes, but you're going to tell people. I'm like, of course I'm going to tell people. If I showed up one, okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, my Christmas is ruined. No wig for me, but it's all good. It's all good. You guys just get the glow for the rest of our lives here. Genesis 49. Let me tell you what's happening so we can get going and you can have a better Christmas than me. So... Genesis 49, it's, the, it's where everything is sort of coming to, coming to an end. We started the story of Joseph, and, and really this particular story of, of Jacob, which is Joseph's dad, his name was changed by God from Jacob to Israel. So Israel is now going to look back on his life. He's going to look forward into his son's lives. He had 12 sons, and he is about to die, and he calls his sons together, and he's going to give Every one of them, he's going to say something to each one of his sons. And that's what we're going to be covering today. But what's crazy about this chapter to me is I have to go all the way back. You go back early on and Jacob's running from Esau. He's running for his life because he stole a birthright. He's out in the darkness. He's all alone. Um, He sets up this stone. He sees the, the heavens open. He sees this ladder with the angels ascending and descending. He has another moment where he's out and he wrestles with God. And I just see this very real man in Jacob. And I know that we're in the Joseph section. But I see this very authentic, real, normal man in Jacob who has all kinds of problems. He's got kid issues. He's got emotional issues. He's got all kinds of stuff going on. But at the end of his life, what he's doing is, yes, he's speaking directly. I mean, directly to his sons. But he's actually speaking directly to anyone who will hear And he's screaming from the rooftops. I've had fear in my life. I've had anxiety. I've had struggles. I've lied. I've cheated. God has touched me. God has changed me. And I have trusted him in every failure I've ever had. Every success I've ever had. I have trusted God. And so this whole chapter to me is a man who has failed absolutely multiple times over. But he trusted God. And so I want us just to be able to receive this because this is what I desire really for the outcome today is for you to walk out of here knowing that you're going to have bumps in your life but there is always tomorrow didn't little orphan Annie teach us that the sun will come out tomorrow 
And so for us to have this mindset, for us to be settled in deep, I want you to be deep entrenched in the fact that he trusted God. Genesis chapter 49, pick up in verse 1, it says this. It says, then Jacob called his sons and said, he called all 12 of his sons. These 12 sons are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen. So he's speaking of what is going to happen in the days to come. So he's speaking prophetically over his kids. He's like, let me tell you about your lives. Not let me tell you about what you've done wrong in your life. He's going to address that. We're going to see that. But let me tell you about what's to come. Now, verse 2, they all assembled and they listened. He said, oh, sons of Jacob's, listen to Israel, your father. That's verse 2. Take me to verse 2. Maybe it's there behind me. I don't know. Nope. We don't have to go there. Maybe it's frozen. I don't know. Okay, well, verse 2, just trust me when I tell you that it says, that's exactly where I wanted to go. He said, oh, sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, Father. So he's going to begin to speak, and he's going to speak individually to each and every one of his 12 sons. We're going to start with, with Reuben. I've put together, we've put together a little map here to help you. I need you to throw up the map. So um, this, is the, this is the area in which is Israel. And I'm going to show you where each one of his sons are going to settle into the land. And so this is Reuben. Now, as I address Reuben, um, first of all, I think we're supposed to give a warning for kids in here today. If you have kids in here, um, this is not a super kid-friendly message all the way through. So you can, at this point, just get up and walk out and take them to children's ministry. Or you can have great conversations at lunch. Your choice. Bless each and every one of you. Chapter 49, verse 3. This is the story of Reuben. He turns to Reuben. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. He's like, you, you are the highest ranking. You are the highest ranking. You're my first. You're my first. You're my first. My firstborn son. In verse 4, man, you are unstable as water. And you shall not have preeminence. This means you shall not have the high ranking. And you will not have high ranking, he says very clearly, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. And he says, he went up to my couch. Now, I'm going to tell you this story, but we've already studied this. This story is um, Reuben, after Rachel died. This is some 40 years earlier. Um, after Rachel died, he went in to, um, not to comfort his dad, which would have been great. Remember, Reuben is actually Leah's son. So, um, so Jacob and Leah had Reuben. That's his firstborn. Leah was the one who was not easy to look at. Is what the way scripture says that. Not me, that's what the scripture says. He goes up, and instead of comforting his dad, he actually um, sleeps with his mom. Not, not, not Leah, his mom, but Bilhah. And so his dad, 40 years later, and you have to look at what's taking place here. He's got all his sons gathered together, and he's like, you're not going to be preeminent. You're not going to have the highest rank because you went up and defiled. And then he turns to the rest of them. Look at, look at it. He turns to the other brothers like, he went to my couch. Like, like this is disdain. And so 
Reuben is not going to, even though he's firstborn, is not going to receive the birthright, is not going to receive the highest ranking, is not going to receive anything except for a little scolding from his dad. Now, later on, we see this, um, Reuben's people and the Reubenites, if you will, they actually rebelled against Moses. Um, and so you see that there's this rebellious spirit in him and through them. But this is Reuben. And Jacob says, Israel says, you are my firstborn, but you get no soup. No soup for you because of what you've done. And so that's his sword. Now, the next one, go to the second map. He's then going to turn to Simeon and Levi. Now, Simeon and Levi, um, you can see where this is where, now again, Levi gets no land because they become the, the priest. And so instead of getting land, they actually get the presence and the, honestly, the oversight of God. So God is their portion. But this is where Simeon lived. Now, this is a good story, and I think this tethers into an overarching story for Jacob's life, for Israel's life, because come on to uh, verse 5 with me. It says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. So he's addressing them. He's like, you guys are brothers. And in other words, he's like, you're two peas in a pot. He says, very clearly to them, your weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul, in verse 6, let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, glory. It's like, please, God, don't let me be like them. He says, but not join to their company. I don't want to be like them. I, I want nothing to do with what they've done. For in their anger, they killed men. And in their willingness, they, har they hamstrung oxen. Go on to one, one more verse, verse 7. Cursed be their anger for fierce and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Israel, and they will scatter them in Israel. I will divide them in Jacob, same word, Israel, and I will scatter them in Israel. So they're going to be scattered out. Now, what did they do that is so cruel? What did they do that is so violent? What did they do that is so vile that their dad is looking at them on their deathbed and said, I don't want to come into your council. I don't want to be like you. You guys got some massive, you got some anger problems, boys. Well, if you remember correctly, you go backwards, um, Jacob had 12 sons and he had one daughter. Um, anybody remember his daughter's name? Shout it out if you remember it. Dinah, that's right. So Dinah was in Shechem and she was uh, abused and she, she was defiled in Shechem. And so Simeon and Levi, they weren't going to, they weren't having it. They just absolutely positively weren't having it. And so, in fact, last week I made a reference. I made a reference to this, this land that Jacob said, hey, I have fought for this. I, my sword, my bow took this land, and now I'm going to give it to you. you. guys remember this? And I said, go ahead and do some research. Go ahead and do some research and see what it is. You guys remember that? So I'll tell you, first and foremost, a lot of people, let me read it to you just so you can remember. I, I, I have it down here real quick. Uh, Genesis 48, 42. Moreover, this is Jacob speaking. He says, I have given to you, rather to your brothers, on the mountain slope that, took from, that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now, this is actually not true. He didn't take land with his bow. He didn't take land with his hand or with his sword. He's actually referencing what took place in Shechem. And what took place in Shechem, and this is the mountaintop that he's given to his son Joseph. He's given him Shechem. Now, some people say this is the first place that David actually laid eyes on Goliath. I'm not sure about that. What I am sure about is that this is Shechem. And Jacob did not fight for that land. Didn't pick a finger up for that land. In fact, he's chastising on his deathbed his sons for that land because 
Dinah, his daughter, his one daughter, when she was defiled, Simeon and Levi, they decided that they were going to go John Wick the entire town. And so they do. They go in and they make an agreement with the guys like, hey, um, have, you, have you guys been circumcised? Like, no, well, we can't give you our sisters. We can't trade with you. And so if you guys get circumcised, we can come in, we can live amongst you. And so they do. They say, okay, and they go back and somehow they sell this to the entire town. And so all the men get circumcised. And then Simeon, while they're recovering, Simeon and Levi come in with their swords and they kill every single man. Because they were so offended and so angry at what they had done to their sister. Which is crazy. I was in the Middle East, this is several years ago. Probably 20-something years ago. I was in the Middle East and I'm meeting some people and everybody I met, they would come up and they would say, do you have children? And I would say, yes, I do. I have, a, I have a son and a daughter. And these men would say, oh, you have a son? I'm like, yeah, I have a son and a daughter. So you have a son. And I, I got, I would, like for like 30-second little slots, I became a feminist real fast. Like, no, I have a daughter too, and in America, women matter. And so, but it was so, it was so funny because they really did want to disregard my daughter. Still, 20 years ago, they're just wanting to honor the fact that I had a son. Simeon and Levi said, it matters that our only sister, it matters that something happened to her, and we are going to take everyone out. And they do, and the dad is like, I haven't forgotten your anger. Now, Levi actually is going to redeem himself. The Levites, there's some redemption. Again, I'm going to fast forward to the Exodus, and when Moses leads them out of um, slavery, and he's going to take them, lead them in the wilderness, taking them towards the promised land, um, they are worshiping golden calves, all the Israelites. And Moses comes down, and Moses is like, what is happening? He draws a line in the sand, and he says, hey, whoever's going to worship God, come, come over here. Those of you who want to worship a golden calf, you can stay where you are. And the Levites were the first ones that reconciled and came back over to say, no, we worship God and we worship God alone. But Simeon and his crew, there was never really any sort of redemptive moment. Then he's going to turn to his, his fourth son, Judah, the fourth son he's addressing here, Judah. And here's where Judah is. So Judah got quite a bit of property as well. And you'll understand why Judah got quite a bit of property. And this is going to be his blessing. He prays over what he speaks over his son. He says, Judah, in chapter 49, verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. He's like, you're going to hold them by the throat. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Now, this is um, kind of interesting because... They're going to bow down before you. What, what, what has he done to his, in his dad's sight to earn this type of, of street cred? Well, first of all, when Benjamin, this is just a few chapters earlier, about 20, 30, about 20 years earlier, Judah actually offered his own life up for his youngest brother, Benjamin. Jacob loved Joseph. Jacob loved his youngest son, Benjamin. And when Benjamin came to Egypt, there was just, Joseph was messing with him, put a silver cup in his bag. Most of you remember this, put a silver cup in his bag. And he said, brought him back. He's like, who stole from me? Why would you steal from me? That guy's going to pay the price. And Judah says, no, no, no. I will pay the punishment for his transgression. I will pay the punishment. And so Jacob is saying, you are up there in my eyes. I mean, you are going to hold your enemies accountable and your brothers should bow down to you because you have shown them what sacrifice looks like. Verse 9, Judah is a lion's cub, he said. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He, stood, he stooped down, he crouches the lion and the lioness. Who dares rouse him? 
Now, this is also interesting because Jesus is referenced as the Lion of Judah. Because Jesus actually comes from this tribe, from the tribe of Judah. And so, verse 10, this is really cool. So, it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, just so that I can make sure you get this. The scepter is, it is the right to rule. So, he's telling Judah, he's like, your, your people, your offspring are going to have the right to rule the 12 tribes. You are going to be the ruler. You're going to have the right to rule. Now, none of the ruler's staff shall be between his feet until tribute comes to him. This word tribute is actually the word Shiloh. Shiloh is peace. It is a, it is the promise. It is actually the correct rendition of the word would be the gift. So we know this to be the Messiah. So he's like, look, the scepter, you're going to have the right to judge, the right to rule until the Messiah comes. And then once the Messiah comes, you'll have no more responsibility. But until the Messiah comes, until Shiloh comes, you will hold the scepter and you will rule over your brothers. Now this is crazy. Because even during the Babylonians, the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to overthrow all of the area that we see that is Israel. And they're going to have rule and reign over this area. They still allowed Judah and the people of Judah, that tribe, to rule the land as far as the law goes. They still oversaw all the law. Isn't that crazy? And that never changed. All the way through, I mean, you're talking thousands of years, doesn't change until the Romans come into Israel, until Romans take control over the Hebrew people. And once the Romans do, they take the rule and the reign away from Judah. Well, at this, every rabbinical teaching you will go look at. You look at any rabbi you want to look at that's covering Judah, and they're going to give you this insight. They say, what's nuts is they had this incredible come-to-God moment because the Romans took Judah's right away. They took the scepter from Judah. They no longer had the right to rule. And so the Sanhedrin, which were the religious people, they put on sackcloth and ash, ash and they walked in the streets mourning, and they were crying and praying out, God, Shiloh has not come, yet we no longer have authority. They didn't know. They didn't know that Messiah had been born. It was after the birth of Jesus, when the Romans ruled, that they actually took that scepter from Judah. Right around the corner was Jesus' public ministry, and still to this day, Jesus reigns. And so, y'all should be like stomping and stuff over that. But anyway, let me keep going. I got way more to cover here. So uh, I'm going to do a twofer on this next one. So uh, go to Zebulun and Ishkar. So, so this, oh boy, I forgot. Okay, so this here, can you, let me see if I color this in. Can you see that white part there? That white part is Ishkar, okay? It goes all the way down. It extends. Actually, they border each other. And so I, I want to point this out because I need you to understand something. It says here um, in verse 13, it says, Zebulun shall dwell at the, sh at the shore of the sea. Go back to the map real fast. Back to the map real fast. Zebulun does not go to the shore of the sea. But Jacob tells his son on his deathbed, you shall dwell on the shore of the sea. But he doesn't. Let me strike this, because in Ezekiel, God actually expands Zebulun's land east and west and expands it out, and he does actually take control over the borderland of the sea. But I want you to see this, because this is pretty powerful. They're going to be combined together here, and he's going to say, um, he shall become a haven. Go back to verse 13. He shall be a haven for ships, 
and his borders shall be at Sidon. It says this in verse 14. Ishkar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. Verse 15. He saw that a resting place was good and the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulders to bear. That means he bent over for his shoulders like, and he became a servant at forced labor. So he's going to be a hard worker. And in the book of Deuteronomy, um, these two tribes are actually connected and it gives us a deeper understanding to what Jacob was actually saying. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 33, 18 and 19. It says, and of Zebulun, he said, rejoice Zebulun in your going out and Ishkar in your tents. So this going out is, hey, Zebulun, you're going to go out to sea. And Ishkar, you're going to work until the land. And so it says in verse 19, they shall call peoples to their mountains and they will offer the right sacrifices for they draw from the abundance of the sea and the hidden treasures of the sand. And so these are two tribes are connected and partly because they would pass by each other and there was a lot of intermingling as they went from inland out to sea and then they would come back. They would pass over that tribe. I don't know, I think that's cool. Back, map five, let me keep going. Mercy me, I'm out of time. So map five, this is Dan. So Dan is... Um, you guys know Dan. Dan is the, all of the judges. In fact, Dan means judge. So instead of book of judges, it could be called the book of Dan. And so Dan means judge. You guys, the most famous judge of all is probably Samson, I, I would say. Would you guys say? Agree? Most known in the church, Samson. Samson is a, as a Danite. You know, he took a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines. Like, he's a bad dude. He took 300 foxes, tied their tails together caught them on fire and sent them into the cornfields of the Philistines to burn up all the land. 300 foxes and tied their tails together. I want to hang out with this dude. Like, that sounds like a party, doesn't it? That's some redneck stuff for sure. Here we go, verse, verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. He was the judge. He was a judge. It says in 17, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel, that his rider falls backward. Now, it's like, look, Dan's going to judge the people, but he's also going to be a, a snake. He's going to be a snake in the way. Like, what? Well, you see, in the book of Judges, we see the seven sin cycles. We see all of the judges listed. Obviously, Deborah's another judge. you got Gideon's a judge. There's multiple Ehud. There's a bunch of judges but probably the most infamous judge, if you are in Bible school, is Jeroboam. Because Jeroboam actually introduces idolatry and false worship into the northern kingdom as a judge. And so that is the snake in the pathway, is that there's going to be a judge who's actually going to bring in idolatry and false worship into the people and into the land. And so... That's Dan. Keep going because, oh, this is awesome. Verse 18 is good. This is, uh, this is what I call, this is, my, this is my Rob Wood. This is our worship pastor's verse right here. It says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Because this is just literally a random praise, a land, random moment of worship in the middle of his speech. So he just randomly, like, like, I will wait for your salvation, O Lord. You're good, God. It's like he just broke out in song in the middle of talking to his sons. So this is just a random moment. Verse 19. Verse 19 this is Gad. So Gad is um, interesting. This is, a, this is a good one because Gad is, if you'll, you'll notice, this right here, by the way, you can't see it very well. I don't know if you see my line. Can you see my line here? 
Okay, that's going to be the Jordan River. That's obviously the Mediterranean Sea. So currently today, if you turn on the news, you watch anything, you'll hear a chant that says, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. You heard that before? That means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, all of this land here, it's a call to, it's called to eradicate all Jews. That's what it means. Give it to everybody that's between there, because then you'll be free. Because that's occupied by Israel. But Gad, if you look at Gad, Gad had no border on this side at all. There's no border. So it was borderless. And here's what, here's what his dad says. It says, raiders shall come from Gad. Gad means troops. That's what the word means. So Gad means troops. But he shall raid at their heels. In other words, he's like, Gad, I'm going to put you in a land that has no borders. So you're going to constantly be at war. But you're going to be tough, you're going to be strong, and you're going to fight. But I'm giving you something that should not exist, and that's borderless land. I mean, I know that it's not a problem for us, but it's a problem here. He's saying board, not having borders is dangerous. And he's speaking this over a sign. He's like, but you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Asher, map seven. Asher is um, all, the, all the way up here. And this is an interesting piece because, oops, Asher actually was more like this because Ishkar was more, oops, you get the point. Anyway, Asher, this is good. Asher, it says, um, verse 20, it says, Asher's food shall be rich. Just remember, you have to remember, Jacob's on his deathbed speaking to his son. This is Asher. Asher. He's, he's went on and on with Judah, right? With Asher. And he just told Gad, you're going to be a mighty warrior. I'm not worried about you. You're tough. Now, Asher, your food shall be rich. And you shall yield royal delicacies. So, Dad, are you saying I'm a chef? Is that what you're saying? I mean, are you saying that Gad's a warrior and I'm a cook? What are you saying here? Really, ultimately, what he's saying here is in the land that he's given, they are going to be massive farmers, and it was. It became a massive harvest and farm lands. And so, um, I think it's funny. I can only imagine Asher like, oh, gosh, it's embarrassing. Not that there's anything wrong with being a chef, John. Okay. But you're not Gad. So here we go. Verse, uh, oh, let's go to Naphtali. Naphtali is, uh, here's Naphtali. So again, you can just sort of see, I just, this visually, I hope this is helping you just sort of see where they land and where they settle in. But Naphtali is, um, in verse 21, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Again, Dad, what are you saying? Here's what I can tell you. In Judges chapter 5, Deborah actually praises um, them for being mighty warriors, for being incredible warriors. But I don't know what this actually means. I've, I've read lots of stuff, and maybe this means it's like uh, you're going to have beautiful kids. You run funny. All right, now map nine. This is a good one. This is the land of Joseph. You'll notice it's significantly larger than everyone else's. It actually crosses over the Jordan there. Joseph gets double portion. And he's going to get double portion for good reason. But let me walk you through this. It says Joseph is fruitful. He's fruitful. He's fruitful. He, he's not just fruitful, but he's, he's planted by a spring. I get Psalm chapter 1 images when I read this because Psalm is talking about the branches going, the roots going down, and they're planted next to the stream of water. And he says fruitful by a spring. His branches run over the wall. This is like you're going to have an abundance Verse 23, the archers, 
bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. He's talking about his own brothers. People have come against you. They've shot at you, but you have overcome. It says in verse 24, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. He's like, he was strong and steady. When people came against him, he's strong and steady. This is Jacob looking at his son saying, Jacob, I see you being the most forgiving person I've ever met. Willing to forgive your brothers for selling you into slavery. Willing to welcome us in and give us, give us food, tend to our family needs, give us land. He's like, I see you being forgiving, and not only forgiving, but I see you being generous. I see you being so generous, giving your brothers all of this food and all, all the provisions. Like, this is his dad, like, on his deathbed saying, J- Joseph, wow. You are a man's man. You've honored God with your life. Very humbling. Verse 25, listen, he says, but the God of your father, who will help you, by the Almighty, who's who will bless you with his blessings from heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast of the womb. Verse 26, blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of your parents. He's like, God's blessings are way bigger than anything I could speak to you. And you have demonstrated godly attributes. Up to the boundaries of the everlasting hills, may there be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Why was he set apart? He was set apart because when everything came against him, he relied on God. When everything came against him, he stayed steady. He didn't lose his head. He didn't lose his cool. He didn't fly off the handle when things took place. He just settled in and said, okay, this is the lot I have in life, and I'm going to do everything I can to honor God with it. Just steady. Just steady and sturdy. I think that I would tell you this, too. Um, He wasn't just blessed. Let me me show you the blessing because this changes, and i I, got to skip a little bit here, but this— This changes the outlook from all of Jacob's blessing. Joseph wrecked the whole plan. Listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn. So Reuben was the firstborn. Firstborn of Israel. He was not the firstborn because he defiled his father's crop. So in other words, he's like, he's not going to get the firstborn blessing. He says, because he defiled his father's couch. His His birthright was given... To Joseph. Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could be enrolled as the oldest son. Isn't that crazy? I want you to hear this. Because the birthright is for Reuben. He doesn't honor God, he doesn't get it. Joseph honors God and God is able to bless him. His dad, Jacob, is saying, I've watched you honor God. i got to keep going here, but jo- Joseph, we've spent a long time on him. It's 25% of the book of Genesis, and so it's very powerful stuff. But map 10, this is the last one. I know there's 12 sons. I've added a couple together there. Benjamin, um, so this is Benjamin's land. You'll see it's not very big, but this land right here is a massive scene in the Bible. So let me tell you what happens here. Verse 29, chapter 49, verse 27. Benjamin. His dad looks at him and says, you're a ravenous wolf. In the morning, devouring the prey, and at the evening, dividing the spoil. He's like, you are a jack wagon. And your offspring is going to be a problem. And so I said when we started reading this, that Jacob's going to not just say what he thinks about them, but he's going to tell them what's to come, right? 
Let me tell you what was to come for Jacob or for Benjamin and why he's saying this. What was to come for Benjamin was Benjamin, the Benjamites. Uh, there was a, there's a story. It's a well-known story. Many of you guys probably know this story, but um, it's in uh, Judges 20. And he's, a Levite is walking down the road. And as he's walking down the road, the Benjamites surround him. And it says in the scriptures, it says that they surrounded him uh, and they were going to abuse him. That word abuse is the same word that's used in Sodom and Gomorrah, exact same word, when the, the men were going to abuse the man. And so it's the same word. So whether that means abuse, like they were going to beat him up, they were going to rape him, they were going to kill him. Same word that we, we see in Sodom and Gomorrah. But they decide not to abuse the Levite. They decide instead to abuse his concubine, same word, they abused her, and it, then after that, they killed her. Well, the Levite is like shocked by this. He takes this concubine of his, this woman, he cuts her up into 12 pieces. She's already dead. Cuts her up into 12 pieces and mails her through Pony Express to his brothers, and each one of them get a letter and a piece of this woman mailed to them, saying, the Benjamites have abused and killed this woman. He is a ravis, he is a wolf of wolves. And so the Israelites, all 12 tribes, 11 tribes, they come together with 400 men. They go surround Benjamin. They go surround his land, surround it, and then they invade it and they kill everyone in there. They actually send men from other tribes down to repopulate, to add to the Benjamites. And so when I say that this is a bad deal. When he says that you are like a, a ravished wolf, you're, you're a wolf full of rabies. Like Benjamin was his youngest. He was beloved. He loved him, but his dad knew that he had created a monster in his son. He knew that his son was going to do horrendous things. Let me wrap this up here. Verse 28. I have so much more I want to share with you guys. I might add this. I might extend next week a little bit. It says this, it says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father had to say to them as he blessed them. Some of them didn't sound like blessings, did they? <laughs> Some of them sounded like, <laughs> blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. So each one of them got what was deserving to them. I'm going to tell you that in Jacob's life, as he's giving what is suitable to them, I believe with all of my heart that Jacob, who ran from Esau, who saw the heavens open, he saw the angels ascending and descending. That same Jacob, as he continued to move forward, he wrestles with God. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. The man who had wrestled with God, who walked with a limp for the rest of his life, the Bible says. I believe that guy encountered God. And after encountering God, he looked at his sons, he looked at his life, he looked back and he's saying, there are a thousand ways that I did not honor God in my life. And as he's speaking to his sons here, he's saying, I want you guys in a thousand ways to honor God. A thousand ways. And so he's giving them warnings. He's giving them warnings. Now, I'm not your dad, and I'm not the one to stand here and cast stones, but I would tell you that there are warnings in your life today that you know about. You know they're there. You know that if you were to sit down in front of your dad, if you were to sit down in front of your pastor, you were to sit down in front of, your, front of your, your, one of your best friends who loves the Lord, you know that there are warning signs in your life and you are heading in a bad direction. I believe what Jacob did on his deathbed was he was telling his sons, it's time for you to know what's coming. Repent and strive to wrestle with God all the days of your life. 
because he will change you. And I will tell you today, as you wrestle through everything you wrestle through, God will change your life. He will change your name. He will change your identity. But you, my friend, have to be the one to say, I'm ready to wrestle. I'm ready to wrestle, God. I'm ready to do it. Father God, in this room, I pray over the last few minutes of our lives as we've taken in a lot of information, you would let it settle and you would let it land with the fact that here's a man who loved his sons. Here's a man who knew that he had struggled on his own. It is a man that had battled. It's a man who loved his boys. But he knew that they had yet to wrestle with God in their life. He knew that they had yet to surrender themselves to you. He knew that there were going to be some pretty big complications in their history. Because when we remove you from the equation, everything falls apart. We see this in cultures. We can see it in our own culture today. Where we remove God, where we remove your righteousness, where we remove your holiness, where we remove your lordship, things fall apart. And so God, I pray over the marriages in this room that you would be Lord over them. I pray over the parents in this room that you would guide them, you would steer them, you would be Lord over their parenting. I pray for us as men and women who proclaim the gospel in our own hearts that you would be in each and every one of us ready and rightful to share your story with the world around us because God, it's without you that the world is hopeless. As Jacob looked at his boy's eyes, God, I look to you today and I know that without you, we will fail. So God, I pray for repentance and for our hearts to know this. And as we walk through this week, to be dead set on surrendering ourselves to you. Thank you for the incredible history that you put in the scriptures. Thank you that it teaches us. Bless us in Jesus' name. Everybody in the house said, amen, amen. Amen.